So a uh, couple weeks ago, I'm up at Marvel and I'm filming a spot for Marvel Comics Marvel.com. And Tom Brevo is going to follow me. He's doing a MarvelComics.com thing right after me. Right. And we're upstairs and we've each got these packs on. We've each, we're all mic'd up. And he has this super secret thing he wants to tell me mm-hmm. that, that no one can know about this super secret thing. Even guys at Marvel.com. And he, he kind of motions me over. Is it about his underwear? No, 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 no. It's, it's a Marvel. It's a, it's a, secret, okay. a secret Marvel. Okay. Yeah, okay. I don't know. Marvel. I don't know. Go ahead. And, and Brevoort kind of takes me you know, around a corner, and he's like. Right. And, I'm like, okay. and then he holds up these little cards because he knew he was going to see me, and he knew we were going to be mic'd. And he's got his little Love Actually cards to tell me the secret. <laughs> and he's like. And I'm just like. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to talk to him about it. We're mic'd. I'm like, <laughs> and we're doing this back and forth. And I have this, like, my best friend in the world is um, from all the way from high school. My friend Toby lives in London. And I tell him everything and I run stories by him. And, um, and, I'm, and Tom knows, Tom's met Toby. And I'm like, <laughs> you start doing the YMCA? Yeah. yeah. I'm like, yeah. The YMCA. And he's like, and we're doing this back and forth, and we're getting more and more, you know, into it. And then this guy from Marvel.com kind of pokes her head out and looks at us and goes, you guys know your mics aren't live. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. so much for the big secret. Well, ha- hello, everybody. Welcome to uh, our uh, writer's panel at Facts. Uh, we have with us today, let's see here, we've got uh, James Tinian IV. Tynan, but yes. Tynan? Yeah. Okay, yeah. sorry. See, I, I, it's all good, not how it's spelled. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we've got Dan Slott, who you may all be familiar with. And I've got Frank Thierry with a big mouth, apparently. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Give them Absolutely. a warm welcome. Absolutely big fucking mouth, yes. On this lazy Sunday. And they are the tri- triple writer threat. Right. So, um, Some kind of threat. Yeah. I'm going to do what you're doing. This feels... Yeah, no, yeah, no, it, it, yeah, it, it, yeah, just <laughs> speak into it, it's fine. Oh, yeah. I don't, did the Janet Jackson everything. thing. I've already broken it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, still works. Um, so uh, maybe we'll uh, look at it slightly chronologically, and if you could each tell us how you broke into comics. Keep it under 15 minutes, uh, Dan, if you can. Yeah, really, Dan. We'll, we'll start with you, James. Uh, so I, I, I've wanted to be in comics my entire life. Uh, you know, one of my first memories is going into a comic shop in uh, New York City and seeing a big cardboard cutout of Spider-Man. And I didn't know who Spider-Man was at this point, and he freaked me out because you couldn't see his face. And then I had nightmares about Spider-Man for uh, months. So that was like my first experience and, you know, maybe why superheroes and horror make a lot of sense together for me. Uh, but it, basically my, uh, my career started, I was a student at Sarah Lawrence College outside of New York uh, where a, uh, I took a class with a uh, young short story writer named Scott Snyder. Oh. And uh, <laughs> he, uh, he had never written a comic book at that point. And uh, during that, that first semester, but we, we bonded on comics and all that. And during that semester, uh, that's when he was pitching American Vampire. 
and he sent me the the pitch to American Vampire and me being you know precocious and uh, you know uh, like I think I was a junior in college at this point rather than just be like oh this is so cool thank you for showing me I sent him a 10 page critique breaking down everything that I didn't think worked in Dick. the pitch <laughs> um, and Scott has sent me ever, literally everything he has ever written since mm. um and uh, we started working back and forth. I became his writing assistant. He was working on uh, a YA novel that then later bits of it have been reconstituted into a number of comic series. But uh, I was helping him on that. And uh, I graduated from college. Uh, I was briefly an intern at Vertigo. Uh, but, and then I went into advertising for a bit. But one day, Scott gave me a call. And we had continued the conversations. And I had you know, developed pitches that anyone who is accepting open submissions has a huge, uh, like if they went back through their slush piles, they have a lot of very bad pitches from me. Uh, but I uh, basically got a, uh, I got a call from Scott at work one day saying that, you know, Batman had launched really, really well for the new 52 and they were asking him to do eight extra pages a month uh, for backup stories, and he wanted, and uh, he, at that point he was writing Batman, Swamp Thing, American Vampire, and then also Amer an American Vampire miniseries at the same time. He couldn't fit it into his schedule, those eight extra pages, so he said, hey James, would you want to co-write these eight extra pages with me? And so that's why my first uh, comic book credit is uh, Batman number eight in the New 52. On uh, that was uh, seven years ago. So, yeah. And had you considered comics as a career path to take? Oh yeah, before? That's, it, that was the goal. Like I was getting uh, the the advertising path was actually a weird sideways path because I got it from uh, an editorial. Uh, like I, I w it was content marketing and all of that. So I was more of an editor working in that. I wanted to break into comics through editing, uh, and that was the path I was trying to mm. go down. Uh, yeah, no, I worked under Shelley Bond at Vertigo oh. and, uh, you know, was basically every time a position opened, I was applying at DC. And then uh, I got, and then another job came around. <laughs> and Dan, what was your experience like um, getting into, uh, getting to work with Marvel? I had, um, in college, uh, I wrote a, a senior, my, I was a theater major, and one of my plays made it somehow to the president of TriStar Pictures. And he really liked it. And he said, I, I think you might make a good script doctor. Um, here's what I need to see from you. Uh, you have, I'm giving you a couple months, write a screenplay. I'm not gonna produce it. We're not gonna, we're not, I just wanna see that you can do it. And my only contingency is it can't be anything like the play. I need to see that you're versatile. Do something else, sci-fi, fantasy, detective, murder, mystery, any, anything you want, comedy, rom-com, just it can't be what your play was. And I sat on a beach in LA and I just kept freaking out and I kept writing the first quarter of a screenplay and hating it and doing a whole nother genre. I just kept doing this over and over and over again. And while I was doing this, I had a, uh, a comic strip I wrote in my school newspaper, which was a superhero strip, and I just kept doing it. Like, even though I was the creepy guy who graduated, who kept showing up on campus. You're still a creepy guy. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but like, you know, like, didn't you graduate? But people kept wanting to read the superhero strip, and they kept paying me to do it. And then someone said, hey, 
you've got this whole portfolio of superhero art, you should look into getting into comics. You love comics. And I was going to local comic shows and showing this, and it was Jim Valentino who looked at it and went, you can't draw. <laughs> You're really bad, but the stories seem fun. You should just stick to the writing. Then I'm like, how do I break in? And he said, you know, there's an internship program mm. at Marvel. You should apply to the internship program. I applied to the internship program. I went up for my sister's wedding to New York, and I'm like, I'm going to be in New York anyway. I applied. And they asked, what college do you go to? And I went, I just graduated from. And they went, oh, we can't use you because we pay you in college credit. Yeah, weren't you like a, like a 45-year-old intern or something? <laughs> <laughs> no, but I was, like, I was like a year or two older than you should be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just graduated, and they went, like, we can't use you. And I was like, oh, fuck. And then I went back to California and kept working on my screenplays that I never finished. And my other sister, identical twins, she got married. So I went back to New York for the second wedding, and I got my uh, college uh, professor to write a bullshit form saying I was getting postgraduate credit. And they asked, and they forgot who I was. I was only in there for like five minutes. And they said, like, uh, what college did you go to? And I just lied. And I said, my old college. And I showed them the form. They didn't look at it. And they went, okay. And they put me in Fabian Nicias's office. And I was the fake college intern. <laughs> so you're a fraud, is what I was you're a saying. Total <laughs> fraud. <laughs> and I'd been, right. there for, I'd been there for a while. And uh, they liked me. And they offered me, a, they said, I want to offer you a staff job but you have to go back to college. And I went, I lied. <laughs> and they went, really? And I came in the next day and I showed them my college diploma. I, I graduated. And they went, okay, here's the job. <laughs> and this, you, were, you were Fabian's intern? I was Fabian, yeah, I was Fabian's intern. Oh. And then um, I, was, I was working for Macchio um, okay. as assistant editor. But uh, yeah, and I was doing art returns. Um, but there was, um, back then they didn't have direct deposit. A guy would walk down the hall with a thing and hand everyone their checks. And they kept passing I remember my, that, yeah. yeah. And he had the white hair, and he was grumpy. And, yeah. yeah. And they kept passing my office, and they were giving checks to everyone but me. <laughs> and I had to go to DeFalco. And I go a couple, you know, because now I had no money, and I had to pay rent and shit. And I'm going like, Tom, I'm not getting paid. And he's like, aren't you the intern? And I'm like, <laughs> no. I, he's like, I have a staff job. Don't you have to go back to college? And he, like, didn't know. And I'm like, no, I graduated. I lied. I already graduated. And he went, don't ever do that again. <laughs> and then I started getting paid. <laughs> and uh, I started, the whole time I was there, back then it wasn't frowned on for people who worked on staff to catch stories. Yeah. It was a different era. And I, I was getting stuff in print, and I was getting some stuff printed. And then uh, Fabian Nicieza offered me from like my Mighty Mouse work and other stuff, there are these unknown characters whose show hadn't aired yet called Ren and Stimpy. And I'd seen them in, I'd seen the Ren and Stimpy episodes in animation festivals and I knew who they were and I went, These, this is funny. And he's like, do you want to take a shot at this? They were going to do all these Nicktoon comics. And I said, I want the Ren and Stimpy one. Like, they're all, do you want to do Rugrats? Do you want to do this? Do you want to do that? I said, I don't want Ren and Stimpy. And I started pitching all these Ren and Stimpy stories to them and writing Ren and Stimpy stories. And then the anthology book fell through. Ren and, they said, we're not going to do Rugrats or any of that shit. Ren and Stimpy suddenly massively became popular. Marvel immediately launched the Ren and Stimpy comic. And I was the only guy who had Ren and Stimpy stories. And they, they already had issues one, two, and three ready from all the shit I'd written. And I just went to Fabian. And the first one was received very well. But they were thinking they were going to open it up to everybody. And I said to Fabian, like, you like these? These are good, right? He's like, yeah, can I have the book? And he went, yeah, I can have the book. And I'm like, Marvel Freelance, and I quit my job. <laughs> <laughs> and I was a freelance from ever since. And nowadays, whenever I go to an office, 
then I meet the college interns who are working for that office. I'm like, you had to fill out a stack of forms, didn't you? I'm like, yes. I'm like, that's me. And from now on, every, every Marvel intern has to fill out a million forms before they get the job. And it's all because of me. So you fucked it up for everybody. I fucked it up for everybody. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's no way to get in no, that that's door it. anymore. Frank, how did you get your start? In the uh, also as an intern, although I actually was supposed to be there as an intern, <laughs> surprisingly <laughs> enough. So um, I actually went to art school, believe and it or did not. Did you have to fill, in out, uh, fill out all the forms? Yeah, and it's all this motherfucker's yeah. form right here, <laughs> man. So, so actually, um, I was in college. I went to art school. And as you can tell, I was such a good artist that I'm not a writer. You know what I mean? So... Um, I tried to break in initially as an artist and then an anchor, um, but I, I, my senior year I had to do a internship, and they had they gave me a list of where I had to do it, and one of them was Marvel Comics, and I had to, up to that point I never thought any of that this would be possible, so I'm like, yeah, fuck, I'll do Marvel Comics, yeah, I'll do my internship there. So I interned with uh, Bob Harris when Bob was um, right before he got the job as editor in chief uh, with him and Ben Rab. Um, I was the intern for a bit, and then from the internship, I did all these odd jobs at Marvel. Uh, I also tried to break in as an editor. Um, I uh, I worked in the photostat room with Robbie. Remember? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I did art corrections, all sorts of stuff. Eventually, I got a job. Wait, you were a Ramita Raider? I did some art corrections. Okay. Yes. I, I wasn't technically a Ramita Raider, but I did do some art corrections. Uh, not very well either, by the way. I <laughs> fucked up some books along the way. What's, what's a Ramita Raider? Um, John Ramita Sr. had a group of artists off in the corner, and if art had to be changed back then, there wasn't digital files you can go back. Things had to be FedExed or yeah. sent into the office. There'd be no time to send it back to the original artist to make yeah. the change. So Ramita had his guys mock the style and, and do the change on a patch. Um, like here's a good example Sam Keith love Sam Keith but he's nutty Sam Keith <laughs> turns in this uh, Peter David Wolverine story in Marvel Comics Presents and there used to be this trope that you could open a cold open a story with Wolverine running through a jungle or a forest or mountains chasing after an animal mm. and then in the end he would only touch it everyone kept repeating this yeah, bit yeah, yeah. because I care about nature I'm Wolverine and, and it was one of that sequences of Wolverine running through the forest and changing. And something to know about this, this was before Austin Powers. You need to know this beforehand. So he, it's him. And Sam Keith turns in the pages, and it's all this, you know, like, hairy, Sam Keith, cool art. Wolverine is buck, full frontal, nude, naked. <laughs> Bits and things all over the cool. page. And they're like... <laughs> Sam, I was there in the office when Jerry Cavanaugh calls him on the phone. He's like, why is Wolverine naked? And Sam's like, it wasn't in the script he was wearing clothes. <laughs> He's one of those guys. So Ramita's Raiders, and this was before Austin Powers, drew all these magical things growing up out of the forest, covering the big branches on trees yeah. and flowers and, and in the style of Sam Keith. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. anyway, cool. I, I didn't I didn't have to you know hide yeah. Wolverine's wang or anything. Okay. I just <laughs> I, I just did you know like some minor shit. You know. So uh, there was one thing I did. I had to fix like Archangel's wing, and 
like at the pen I did bled. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> and I handed it to Ben Reb and he was just like looking at it like, you know, like, oh, this is fucked. So there's an issue of, I think it's X-Force, where it's just like Angel's Wing is just like, there's a fucking blotch. <laughs> and that's my fault. Anyway. That's your, that, <laughs> so, that's your legacy. And that's me. That's my, I have a blotch on, on, on Angel's Wing. And, uh, anyway, so, uh, so I did all these odd jobs. Eventually, I got to work for uh, Marvel.com, okay? Um, I started doing artwork and stuff like that. Eventually... They needed, I knew the characters because I read comics as a kid and whatnot, so they needed my writing more than they needed my artwork. Uh, I became actually an editor, um, an editor, head writer, forever for Marvel.com, for whatever, for Marvel.com, and um, eventually I got to um, edit a guy by the name of Joe Casada when they came in, when Joe and Jimmy came in. Uh, Joe had a... a was supposed to be monthly <laughs> uh, column, or weekly, it's supposed to be weekly, I'm sorry, called uh, the Q Corner. But, you know, it came out like, every, you know, every six months or whatever. Joe was not very reliable. But, um, so I, I, all the while, while I was on staff, I was pitching Marvel. And like Dan says, you can't do that anymore, you know. Me and Dan fucked that up for everybody. You know what I mean? That's <laughs> and we were, at the time, every single Marvel book was written by the editor next door. Yeah, yeah pretty and much. They, it yeah. Was all, they all had these handshakes. I'm editing you. You're editing me. Yeah. You know, if you're the editor-in-chief, you were writing three books. If you're Mark Grunewald, you were editing, you know, you were writing four. It, like, they were all... Everyone yeah, I think was, you were on staff, though, when I was there, right? right. But, but when I was an intern, I think you were on staff. I think already. there was... Yeah, there's some crossover. There's some crossover. Anyway, um... So, again, you know, I kept pitching stuff. Um, eventually, Joe asked me, he knew I wanted to, to write. He asked me to co-write Iron Man with him, um, which, of course, I said yes. And as I was writing Iron Man, Mark Powers offered me, uh, based off of what me, he had seen me and Joe do on Iron Man, he offered me Wolverine. And then everything just took off from there, as they say. Is, I, I, I was on staff, and then well, I was writing on staff, and then eventually I went, Freelance, and now I'm a whore, and I work for everyone. So, and the, here we are. I got like an an angel blotch story. I was uh, there was a book called Marvel Comics <laughs> Presents. Um, where it was a, a open door for a lot of people to start learning and sure, starting sure. to get stuff in, and it was an invaluable resource. And I got to do like some short stories, and I did this Daredevil short with Daredevil and Black Widow in a building, and there was a one of the things in the story was a, a ticking clock like when this bomb would go off. And the way the artist, the artist put the, the, the counter into the physical art instead of like the letterer doing it. And I looked at it and the counter was wrong. And the, the, the amount of time, it wasn't stressful at all. Mm. It was, it was, they had too much time to defuse the bomb. <laughs> yeah, like eight days to defuse yeah. the bomb. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah, you and, got a month, all right. And yeah. it, it, I just looked at it, it's like, it, there needs to be more tension. And I, I said to Terry Cavanaugh, they're getting ready to put that book out. Right. And I'm like, all you have to do is take a Sharpie and change this number to this number right. on the digital readout, and it'll be infinitely more stressful. Right. And he's like, the issue's been proofread. It is ready to go. We're leaving it. We're, right. not, taking a sharp, we're not taking a Sharpie and changing the original art right now. And then Terry left the office to do something, and he left me alone with the art. <laughs> <laughs> this is early in my and, career. And, and you blotched it this, up? <laughs> this could have killed my career. I'm like, I've got the Sharpie. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, he's not looking. 
I'm like, and I do it onto the art. I'm like, and I'm feeling all proud of myself. And then I look down, I've done it to the wrong number. Uh. (laughs) Oh, fuck. I've totally done the wrong number. And there's Terry like walking around and talking to people. I'm like, white out. And I'm like trying to restore the number and make it look like digital numbering, like the way the, and I'm like, and there's Terry and he's coming in. I'm like, I'm fucking around with original art. And I'm like, uh, 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 uh. And then I'm like, oh God, it has to dry. I'm like, <laughs> and by the time he comes in, I'm kind of, wait, Terry. <laughs> no one ever knew. So and he I pulled f- it off. I fucked up the art and I restored it in the time it took him to walk yeah. over, have a conversation, get a quick drink, and come back. And all the time being in the window frame. <laughs> and I was like, oh God. And yeah. I'm like, I will never do that again. <laughs> Yeah, I fucked up the art and just fucked up the art. There was no, there was no fixing it. There was no, that was that, you know. Was, oh well. What would you guys say are some of the challenges of coming into a role where you sort of have full control over fan favorite characters? Because I take it you guys are full, full control. control. <laughs> Everybody in the room laugh at him. Full control. <laughs> yeah, you know, you know who has full control. Brian K. Vaughn has full control over Saga. That, yeah, that's yeah, right, who has full right. control. Well, I mean, okay. Hmm, how do I come back from this? <laughs> no, but I mean, you're, That's it. Panel's off, everybody. That's yeah. it. This guy but suddenly you're, in a, <laughs> suddenly you're in a position where you can sort of steer the yeah. direction. Yeah. Good. Steer good. the direction of characters that I take your huge fans of. What are some of the challenges involved in that? Or how does that process go? Going from being a fan to being in some position of control. It's intimidating. Like, it's genuinely intimidating. Um, I remember for my, the first few things I wrote were those backup stories, and but the, the first time I, I got cover credit was a few months later on uh, Batman Annual Number 1. And it was the first time uh, I had written Batman because the backup stories were about Alfred's dad, like Jarvis Pennyworth. So it was like... I felt I felt I was allowed to like put words in Jarvis Pennyworth's mouth. That's I his real it, name is Jarvis Pennyworth. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, I, I'm pretty sure it's, that is like just directly ripping ripping off the Avengers. Yeah, that's what I figured. Came, like, yeah. Came later, but uh, that's continuity. But the uh, writing Batman for the first time scared the shit out of me. Uh, and I remember, like, we were structuring the issue that there were these flashback sequences that focused on Mr. Freeze and then forward sequences that were the Batman sequences. And basically, and I was co-writing with Scott, so I was like, Scott, you write the Batman stuff. I'll write that. And Scott's like, like I said before, he w- the reason he brought me on to do these things is because he's writing a million books and he was, had just had a kid and all of this stuff. And he's just like, James, I need you to write, <laughs> write Batman. And it was just like, okay... And it was sitting down and, like, I still remember, like, writing the, like, I I don't remember which line. I wish I remembered which line because that would be better. But it was the, like, I still remember, like, just the visceral act of, like, typing Batman colon, like, and then starting a sentence. And, uh, you know, like, in that moment, you, like, you are entering a, a, like, a realm of, there, there have been so many people who have given voice to this character over so many years, and you need to respect all of that, but you also mm. want to bring a little bit of yourself to it. Mm. You need to, uh, the way I've always thought of it is almost like a, you know, there's, like, everyone's throwing darts at, uh, at 
the, at a dartboard, and the center is the true voice of Batman. Uh, but the center changes a little bit depending on what your influences are, like who has thrown the darts before, and where do you think the center is? Uh, so for me, like Kevin Conroy's voice from the Batman animated series is just like that is bat the Batman voice, and uh, the the soundtrack of Mask of the Phantasm with this especially the choral version of the animated series oh, theme, yeah. like if, you know the. Like, something that I've said in a more sweeping terms is that, which I, it's not 100% true, but it sounds really good, is that I don't, if you write a Batman comic and there isn't a moment in which you could play that choral version of the, like, Batman animated series theme, it's like, it's not a real Batman comic. I don't really believe that, but it's just like, it feels like a true thing. I'm going to do that now. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I'm gonna like, oh, you can put the Batman theme here. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's just, uh... I don't know that you have to like you have to like put all that respect, but you also can't let it freeze you. Freeze, freeze you. you, yeah. You, you still can't. have to work through it to the other side. Yeah. Um, and you know, I was thrown in the deep end like very early, which helped. The only other time that uh, that hit me quite so hard was writing the turtles uh, the for the mm -hmm. Batman TMNT uh, crossover books and. It was because once again you have a ver you have these characters who there are about ten different voices in your head from the different iterations and you have to kind of incorporate all of them while leaning towards it like a hypothetical mystical center like and uh, I don't know it, that's uh, like that that's always in my head it's just how do you sort of take. Like, whenever I write a character uh, now, I, I reread the things that made me love that character to begin with. And then, uh, and then I read more stuff to sort of see, like, okay, this is where it kind of deviated away from what I liked. This is where, like, I mean, I, which isn't to say I don't read, like, a thousand comics every time I write one issue. But it's, I like doing the research. I like taking it all in. But then I need to, once I sit down to start scripting, I need to put all of that aside and then sort of take the gut instinct of what all of that background has put into my mind and my heart and then tell the story that I think would be the most interesting to read. Frank and Dan, how do you guys approach that challenge of sort of capturing like a canon voice of the character but still infusing it with your own ideas and stuff you want to challenge the character with? Well, when I first started, like on Wolverine, and you know, I f first thought I was writing Wolverine, and you know, Joe had left Iron Man, and I'm writing both these at the same time. And honestly, I think I was too much of a fucking idiot to understand what exactly, you know, what I mean that the the importance, the you know, grandness of what I was doing. You know what I mean? Um, hey, I'm writing Wolverine. Hey, I'm writing Iron Man. You know, and, I, and then I was writing Deadpool. So it all happened for me very quickly. You know. Um, and I, I think I realize now, I'm going to fall off the stage here. You're, Let me just... Got, you're got some I do got some room? Yeah, okay, because I'm... Room. Yeah, okay. <laughs> As I'm <more>, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, um, but yeah, you know, it's... I, I, I would say even, you know, from when I first broke in to now, it's even, it's different, okay, because of the movies, because of... Yeah, sure. you're, not, you're not just writing comics for comics now. You're writing comics, you know... Uh, there's other things to consider than just, hey, you know, this is going to be a comic book. The certain thing with certain characters, too, you know, they have grander plans 
for certain characters. I remember when I did the video game uh, for Marvel vs. Capcom, they, one of the characters they wanted to include was Nova because they had ran the plans, which they haven't really done anything with yet. <laughs> but there is stuff that they consider now, you know, when, when you're doing uh, characters and stuff like that, that they, you know, well, this is how it's going to look in the movie and this and that. So um, it's, I think, even bigger spotlight now than even ever before of how it is to take over one of these characters. Um, because you're not just writing in a vacuum more so than ever. This is going to go out there into a bigger world. Yeah, you know? sure. Um, I, I kind of had some of the same problems James had, but the fun thing is, like, you know how when you're a little kid and you're drawing and you suck and your parents put it up on their fridge and, like, they're so proud of it? My and parents still do that. <laughs> <laughs> but then you get better and better and better and you don't want people to see the fridge drawings. Yeah. Like you, you want to just look at this. It's nice to have places to fuck up early. Yeah. And I had, I was doing Looney Tunes for DC for ages. And I had the same, like your Batman fear, but for like, I was like, oh my God, don't let me write Bugs Bunny or Daffy Duck. I'm not ready. <laughs> I'm not ready. I, I, that's too important. They're too big of an icon. I'm going to do Sam and Ralph. I'm going to do Wile E. Coyote and Roadrunner. They don't talk. You know, I, 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 I can do Foghorn Leghorn. You know, I can do this like... Nah, nah, boy. Yeah. <laughs> I had so much fun doing that. Oh, uh, yeah. And, and, you know, Scooby-Doo. And I was like, and then I was like, okay, now I'm ready for Bugs and Daffy. So by the time I had that kind of stuff under my belt, then it was time to like go, oh, oh, look, I get to write She-Hulk. I get to write Silver Surfer. I get to write yeah. Spider-Man. It was more like, oh, I'm just having fun. You, I'm just and, doing this thing. And, you know, my, my rule is write for yourself. Yeah, 100%. Write, write for yourself. Write something that if you don't want to read it, you've done something wrong. You know, write something you would want to read. And at the end of the day, everyone hates, you know, it's just you fucked up. At least one person liked it, you. <laughs> you know, write for yourself. Although, do you look back at some stuff? Do you look back at some of your stuff and you're like, oh, yeah, I would have did that so yeah. differently you, now. You, you know what I mean? You always feel like that. Yeah. Like, there was a, Jim Lee was doing a, a Punisher Nick Fury mm. uh, graphic novel and it was when he had just started off and he was doing Punisher then he was doing Alpha Flight then he moved up to X-Men right. and they kept having work for Jim Lee to do and then whenever he had a spare moment they go can you draw another two pages of this and this magical graphic novel was going on for years because he would only have enough time to do like two pages here three pages mm. there and then there was a long gap when he didn't do anything and then he's because he's knee deep in X Men. Right. Like, we don't want you doing that. Draw this whole X Men trading card set. Right, right. Yeah. Don't do this. Do this, do this. And at one point, someone went, Is he ever going to finish that? And they went to Jim Lee and they go, Can you finish this? And he went, Oh, yeah, sure. Let me see it. And he looked at it and it was all his refrigerator drawings. Yeah, it's And then it was all the. Because yeah. it had gone through so much, it was like watching him slowly stand erect. Mm. <laughs> you know, like throughout the course of this graphic novel. The graphic novel was like rings in a tree. And he was like, no one must ever see this. This is dead. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, so I, I have the stuff where I go back and I look at early stuff. I, I don't even want to look at it. Some of it I just like, oh. I, I, my, my friend Toby, who I just said, like, he still rips on me. Because like some of my earliest stuff I did in the 90s, mm. um, I, I was doing for uh, Scott Lobdell, which you were doing for Scott Snyder. And uh, he just had too much time. And he'd go, oh, script this Excalibur issue for me. Script this thing. I know you're trying to break in. Script mm. this. And he, there were these backups in Marvel Tales where they would do an extra like little five-page story based on whoever Spider-Man teamed up with. And he had these 
these weird characters that only appeared for a few panels, and he came up with a whole story called The Freaks. And one of them was called like, um, one of them was like a plant creature, like Moss Man or something. And uh, no, it wasn't Moss Man, but it was, it, he was like a Swamp Thingy kind of character. And uh, there's a bit where he catches a car, and I wrote this dialogue, and I was trying to really be like Stan Lee. And I was like, oh, I'm writing superheroes. Someone's like, uh, Gorilla Girl goes, I've got a firm hold of the chassis. And he goes, and my mossy bracken will douse these flames. <laughs> Jesus. It's the worst dialogue ever. And whenever oh, I'm writing. That's terrible. Get off the yeah, stage. Whenever yeah, I'm writing. And that's like some of my earliest writing. Whenever I write something bad, my friend Toby goes, and my mossy bracken will douse these flames. I'm like, shut up. Um, uh, uh, Frank, you, you mentioned that you've been um, a whore for um, anyone. For, for uh, a number of things. For, yeah. a, no, for a number of years. Yeah. Um, is there, um, are there characters, are there things that you wouldn't write that, that you'd say, no, thank you, uh, please, Lord, let this pass me by? Characters I wouldn't write? Yeah. Well, it depends what part of your career are you in. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. How much, you know, I get... You know, I, do I have to feed my kids? I mean, I mean it's, it's a lot of times we take jobs too to sure. pay the bills. You know, or, or you're you're early in your career, you're hustling for that next job, and you never know what contact you're making, what person. You're right. Like. So you know, Justin Green calls you up from Archie Comics. He goes, well, "You've played say you played Sonic the Hedgehog games, right?" And you're like, "Yeah." You want to write a Sonic comic? I'm like, "Sure." You write it. To this day, I still hear from Sonic fans. I love that Sonic. Is you gonna write another? I'm like, no. <laughs> no. I'm never, I'm never writing a Sonic. I'm writing Spider-Man now, motherfucker. Yeah. I don't <laughs> Sonic. Yeah, I mean, look. You know, if somebody gave me Barbie or something, I'm not writing that shit. You know what I mean? But, <laughs> but, but, but I, I would not be, be a good yeah. fit for Barbie. Okay, <laughs> that's true. You know, she end up like with a head cut off or something. Something bad. No. But uh, no, seriously, I mean, sometimes look. I, I think I, I think I take pride in my myself that I'm able to. Look, I did fucking Jughead, for Christ's sake, and I made him a werewolf. You know what I mean? I, I think I'm, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty versatile. Um, what, 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 what did you call him as a werewolf? Because there's like vamp, Vampironica. Like, did he get a cool nah, werewolf? No, he he's just Jughead werewolf. That's <laughs> it. I mean, it's, <laughs> you know. Jugwolf? Jugwolf. That, that's pretty, pretty, pretty much what we've settled on is Jugwolf, yeah. Yeah, that's his cool Wolfhead. Wolfhead. Yeah, yeah Wolfhead, yeah. <laughs> That, I mean, that's a great question. I, I uh, for me, like, is it, it all comes down to the moment. Like, uh, they did ask me to pitch on a series, uh, like, and I, I think I can say, like, I, they asked me to pitch on Aquaman a while back, mm -hmm. and uh, this was like year, like year or two ago, uh, and. I, like, and I sort of, I sat down for a while, but I didn't, like, I could come up with an Aquaman story, but I was working, I already had, like, a lot on my plate, and I knew that it's just, like, it's not worth going over and entering this mythology for the first time uh, without something to say about mm. it. And it's, like, I like Aquaman as a character, but I didn't have my take. Mm. I didn't have, like, this is what I would do with that character. Like, and then, of course, six months later, I had a moment where I was like, that's what I would do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, it's like, too you know, late. So now, now yeah. I've got it in my back pocket. <laughs> yeah. But uh, for the next time they ask, because, like, obviously there's, like, amazing stuff happening on that book now. But uh, it's, uh, like, that is the, like, it's, it's all about the moment and it's having, you know, 
having a pitch play. There's, there's also your voice and your comfort level. And now that, like, you know, it's like Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Like, you know, early in your career, what jobs will you take? What do you want to do? And you're scrambling. Uh, I'm at the point where I get the, you know, I've, I've recently, in the past year, after I, I left Spider-Man, um, I left without, I jumped without a parachute. And I just trusted Marvel would offer me books and they started coming up to me and offering me books and books that most people would like cut off their arm for and I'm like nah no I'm not feeling it <laughs> no <laughs> and then it was like eventually ooh Iron Man I want that you know and, and I was from day one I was like are we bringing back FF are we bringing back FF are we bringing back FF and they're like shut up <laughs> um, so yes yeah, so I'm, I'm working on stuff I dearly want to do but in the long run, like I know there are characters that aren't good fits for me. Yeah. That, like I love reading Ed Brubaker books. He's one of my favorite writers. But I can't do that. And that's part of the reasons why I like it so much. I love reading Walt Simonson Thor. I love reading Jason Aaron Thor. I don't have a Thor in me. I can have a Thor in me if I was writing Avengers and there were six other guys around. Mm-hmm. I can do Thor. Could, could I do Thor every month? No. Yeah. It's, I don't... I, I don't have that gear in my gearbox. Um, yeah, I mean, maybe you have an arc for something. Like, oh, I could tell. A, I, I can do, I can do one story. Yeah, Thor, yeah, yeah. Or, but or, I'd love using Thor in a team, but right. I can't. I now I'd write Hercules in a second. Drunk, oh, drunk I, Thor is fun. <laughs> that's I've written Hercules, and I had a ball with Hercules. Yeah, yeah I, I I definitely find Hercules more easy yeah. to draw, he, write than uh, Drunk Thor. Thor. Drunk Thor. Yeah, he's drunk Thor. Yeah. He's great. It's all the braggadocio plus alcohol. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's all that kind of like, and it's, it's, it's Thor 10 steps up because he's just such, he's way larger than life than Thor. The, the funny thing is when I wrote Hercules, to me. The, uh, the thing I did with the big reveal at the end was that, you know, if you look at Hercules' history, there's a lot of tragedy there in the, in, in the, in the Greek mix. So the, the thing that I introduced was that all that shit did happen, and that's part of the reason why he drinks and this and that it's you know that Hercules is actually he's got this big you know but you look behind the, the clown makeup and he's really this tragic figure that uh, yeah oh <laughs> that's sort of I also know I got like I don't have the Adam in me I can't do an Adam run or even, no, even no. as a character he scares me but I love reading about him because I, I grew up like Gil Kane was one of the first guys I followed as an artist like whatever he's drawing I'm going to read um, but it's like I can do Hank Pym every day of the week I could write a Hank Pym story because you're dealing with unstable molecules and Pym particles right. and, and adamantium and vibranium and, and if I have the, the atom doesn't really deal with nth metal atom deals with real world physics you know, to, to solve problems. I'm like, I don't know any of that crap. <laughs> so I'm not, I'm not going near that guy. Why don't you ask me to talk about sports next? You know, like, <laughs> screw that. Well, that sort of fits in. James, I was talking to you yesterday about your sports? affinity. No, not sports. <laughs> Definitely not. We're in the wrong place for sports. <laughs> about uh, your affinity for body horror. Yeah. And um, I was wondering how much leeway is there for you guys in general to introduce things that you sort of have a personal affinity for or stuff from a certain niche and put that in a book because you're writing Justice League Dark right now and you've introduced a set of characters that are very much tied to that yeah. subgenre of horror. I mean, uh, DC in particular, like, part of my whole pitch for Justice League Dark is that uh, magic in, in the DC universe comes from its horror comics. Like, those... Like that, most of those characters were introduced in horror anthologies, and and then you know they're 
the greatest moment of impact was uh, that they they've had on the entire universe was in uh, the the late '80s, early '90s, in what became Vertigo. And it's just like now that some of those now that John Constantine and Swamp Thing are back a part of the DC universe, there there are all of these things in play that can take the the horror that kind of deviated away from the DC universe and became its own thing and reintroducing it into the DC universe uh, and into the characters who, you know, started like if you read the the Doctor Fate comics of the of the late '80s, early '90s, they were following the same sort of path and trajectory as the rest of the like all the magic and horror corner. But then once Vertigo, once the hard like wall went up between Vertigo continuity and DC continuity, they lost that. So it's sort of about you know, reintroducing horror and sort of letting those tendrils sneak in. And then it's also about how, uh, you know, I wanted to bring modern horror sensibilities to it, which means something that is a little more body horror. It is a little more Junji Ito than it is, uh, you know, uh, like, you know, The Witching Hour and all of the original, like, horror anthologies where all these great characters came. Yeah, Tales from the yeah. It's like, you know, those are great, and I love those, but that's why I, I did an issue of Justice League Dark, uh, issue seven, which is in the style of, uh, of one of the classic DC uh, horror anthologies, where I even have, I use Man Bat, who's part of the team, as the host uh, of the issue, where he's like, he's going through the case files, uh, but it's sort of realizing that the, you know, the other kind are attacking magical characters all around the DC universe because they want the story of them to spread because magic is built on stories and it's built on fear. And the more the people of the, the, the magical community fears them, uh, then they, the more real they will become and the harder they will be to like kick back out of the world. And so I wanted to tell the type of stories that you would tell in the old anthologies, uh, but with where the the victim character, rather than being a human with a monster, it's one of it's a classic monster that then a new monster is coming and destroying mm-hmm. all. Of them. So it's like in one story, it's a, you know it's an entire club of demons that's destroyed by one of these things. Another one, it's like a coven of vampires, and like it's getting to play with all of these different corners. But since that was part of the pitch. Um, that I would, they have let me go very, very far. I mean, obviously, there, like, I think there have been two moments where, like, someone has said, okay, we have to tweak this one little mm. thing. But that's also the benefit of body horror, is uh, even though I find it so deeply disturbing uh, and really, really unsettling, it actually doesn't break any of the standards and practices because it's not like, you know, ripping someone's guts out and showing mm. them. It's all of a sudden someone loses all the bones in their arm and they're like melting and mm. like, you know, like stretched skin and all of that. You can show all of that because it's not, <laughs> and it's really, really- It's not graphic. Uh, it's, yeah. it, it's, but it like, but it, it's not graphic, but it's visceral. Mm. And that's the, that's what I wanted to go, go with. And I've, my, uh, the other thing I studied, I was a writing major with a minor in film studies and what I focused on in film studies was horror cinema. So that, is like the primary like influence on all of my stuff uh, is 
even know, even the one shots we did together. Yeah. I mean, those are more people say the the the, um, the DC metal ones. The yeah. um, what do we do? But Murder the Machine. Murder, yeah, Murder Machine. And, and uh, Devastator. And people yeah. even say the, the ones we work. They're more horror stories than superhero stories. Those yeah. are, those are actual horror stories. You know. Yeah, and like, and I mean, if a lot of superhero stories are just monster stories mm. that turn out well. Like, mm. in the same way that it's, like, the same sort of stories that if, you know, like, and, and I mean, you know, then the even ones where they didn't turn out well, but Spider-Man could very easily be a horror story. Yeah. Sure. Story. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's, I, we were watching, uh, my friend and I were watching Cronenberg's The Fly the other day, and it was, remember, then it's like, oh, right, this is what Sam Raimi was, like, directly referencing for the whole, like, when he, right after he was bit in his first Spider-Man right. movie. It's like, I don't know, there is a kind of interplay between the two that I like to play with. Do you feel like timing is essential when oh, yes. you try to, for certain pitches, like things continuity-wise have to be in the right place for you to say, like, now we can take that character this way or that way? I've seen the, the flip side happen where I've seen people just doing blind pitches and coming in from, and, and I go, dude, reach out to me. You can't, that won't sell these couple months. Like these characters, you don't know it, but they're locked down yeah. or Marvel is steering a different direction with that character. or We've got future plans that the, you do have to thread and, and not knowing going in blind, you're screwed. Yep. Some, cause you know, oh, this obscure character. Yeah. Well, you know, Bendis has got an eight page, uh, an eight story arc on this character. It's, yeah. <clears throat> that shit happens, man. Yeah. It's a, it's a shared universe, but at the same time, that means parts of it are going to be locked down to you. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, like, you just, a lot of it's gambling, and it's trying to figure out when do you, when is the right moment to pitch, and even sometimes I don't, like, I'm, you know, I, I'm privy to a lot of conversations, but then all of a sudden, I don't know necessarily what's happening in the all-ages line, and right. all of that, like, all of a sudden, like, here's a character who seems like, oh, this would be a perfect character to, because they, they've been, they fall into the back, uh, backside, like, we didn't really shake up their status quo, but then... They're going to be appearing as the star of a like graphic novel coming out six months time, and maybe the main character, the main version in the main line, should not be a radically different version. And DC is is Warner Brothers, and Marvel is Disney. Yep. There might be a company mandate of we're not doing X, Y, and Z right now. Right. For anything, for like different moods or different genres or different things, there might be a we're not doing this right now. We'll explore it later, but not right now. So there's all different kinds of even, you know, shades of color that can get knocked off of your prism. It's, you know, it's all... When, and the like, great moment it, is yeah. right after a shift like that, and, sorry. Uh, That's okay. That, uh, like, Everything's know, open. Yeah, yeah. All of a sudden, they're like, wait, that didn't work. Okay, give us everything. And yeah. then it's just like, right. all right, here are the crazy ideas. Like, yeah, that happens too, where there'll be that moment of suddenly like everything's opener. We've hit the end of the year and we haven't done enough books. We're just, we just need a ton of stuff because we screwed up our mark, you know. Like, right, right. Boom! Hey, you know, I always wanted to do a Dazzler one-shot. Done! Approved! <laughs> you know. It, uh, you never know when that's going to happen. What I was going to say was it's how things change sometimes. When, when I was doing Black Knight, okay, the whole thing was they were going to give this big push to Weird World. Weird World was going to be there Savage Land, you know, I mean, because, you know, they didn't really have the rights to Savage. So they, they, they had all these plans. Uh, Sam Humphreys was doing a Weird World book. Um, I, Black Knight was tying into Weird World. They're going to do all these things for Weird World. And then all of a sudden, no, <laughs> they, they didn't. And, I, I, you know, 
And that's what happens sometimes. The, yeah. I think that hurt the book ultimately, you know, because we we were was going to get this big push and we were going to get, and it didn't happen. And plans change. Yeah. That's you know. But I, and I guess you just have to roll with those you have punches. To roll with, yeah. That's yeah. the job. Yeah. And you you will watch. There's some guys who are just so expertly at rolling with a punch and turning around and making it a positive and putting out a great book. Like you've just, everyone else in the room gets knocked down by some new stipulation or new thing. And there's that one guy who not only rolls with it, but makes a success. It takes off like a shot. That guy now has the aura of being the magic guy. Right. And that guy can now pitch his sophomore project that's batshit crazy. And everyone goes, this is the magic guy. And then that guy's on a run for a while. It, anything can happen. If you're going to work with, especially with the big two, you've got to learn to be flexible. I mean, yeah. honestly. It's, yeah, you can't, yeah, you can't take – I've seen guys screw their career because – They're too precious. Well, yeah, no, they'll have this, you know, their, their darling project, and everything's going right for it, and then it takes a hard hit, and it goes down. And instead of going, okay, I'm going to try something else, they go like – Fuck you! Right, How right. dare Double you do down, this to yeah. me? And yeah, I'm like, this would have been so great. And Mar, this is your loss. Name of big two company. Right. You know, yeah, you won't have me to kick around. And you're like, dude, that guy over there just got the same kick in the nuts, and he turned right. around and did a great project. You know, it, it, it's it's. Weird. It is what it is. When you take the job, you know that these are not our toys. They come and let us play with the toys. No. You know, I mean, and, we, and and you when you're playing with that toy, you better play with that toy fearlessly. Yep. Yeah. You can't. Yeah. You can't. Yep. You, you can't be protective. You can't also go. Oh, I'm going to play it safe. No. I'm going to give the the company exactly what the company wants. No. Take it. I'm going to save my good idea for the third arc. Yeah. yeah no. Right. No. <laughs> no. There might not be a third arc. Yeah. Oh, I I did so much of that. And then my third story with this character will be this. All through, like, my Spider-Man run, I would introduce a new character. Mm. I would set them up. And then we, okay, now I'm doing this story, now I'm doing this story, and now I'm coming back and doing my second story right. with this thing. And then some mother <clears throat> would jump in and do the obvious story. Yeah. And I'm like, I was saving that for my third one. <laughs> you know, like, you're like, you think I wasn't getting to that story? You son of a, you know, and, and yeah. And someone, I, I had a writer who kept swooping in. It was me. Yeah. No, and doing like my third stories, mm. you know, which were the cool one. I was yeah. like, this one, and it's building, and it's building, yeah. and someone kept doing my thirds. And I was like, da! You might not get to do that <laughs> yeah. third yeah. story. No, That's you the, yeah. take, take your best shots early. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Give it everything you got. Yeah. You swing. Trust yourself to come up with something down. Thing. Yeah. You, I mean, like it, it's better to have to face that challenge a little bit down the road than it is to, like, all of a sudden lose the book. Like because you know you didn't do you didn't do everything you didn't no, give it everything didn't bring you got. Your oh, especially oh in, the, in today's day and age, if, yeah. especially a first issue, you have to catch up with them with the first yeah. issue yeah. and the first arc. Yep. You know what I mean? You can't be saving shit for later because there might not be a later. Yep. Honestly. Yeah. There, there is. There is like I did a thing series that that got canceled by issue eight, mm. and our our seven and eight were like. They told us we were getting canceled, so they were our goodbye issues. Mm. But the thing that would have been our next arc, everyone who heard it went, that was so good. Yeah. Like, uh -huh. I did six issues of setup and short stories all to get to issue seven. Yeah. And there was no issue seven. There was seven. no seven, yeah. And everyone was like, oh, my God, I've heard your, your thing seven through 12. And that was, why didn't you do that? Yep. 
Fuck you. <laughs> uh, what about uh, co-writing? Uh, how does that, uh, in your case, you just picked up the slack for uh, <laughs> someone who was overworked. Yeah. But uh, well, you, you co-wrote together um, yeah, some of the Batman uh, metal things. Mm-hmm. Every co-writing project's different. Yeah. yeah. Uh, there, there's never been any, like, any any co-writing experience, even with Scott, it's different on project to project. Yeah. Like right when I was getting started, a lot of it was Scott was essentially working as my training wheels. Like, you know, he would let me sort of go off and go down. Like I would run by what I was doing and then he would let me go and I would write it all out and then he would just basically, he would be the first line editor and he would yeah. just go through and I would, you know, like and what he's, and it's sort of like, even though I did that, it's like what he said sort of, it, that's what went. And uh, I do, and then I remember uh, it was actually really valuable because towards the end, because then we did that with Talon as well. Uh, and I started realizing like, oh, I have a slightly different vision uh, at, at this than Scott. Like Scott is starting to pull things in directions that if I were doing this on my own, I wouldn't do. It, which wasn't to say it was, like it's just our different voices. But that was honestly great for me in terms of, oh, that's my voice. That's like, these are the things that I value. And uh, like, and I understand why Scott's saying it. And Scott is right. If Scott were writing the book by himself, that is the absolute right version. But I know I could make the version that's in my head work. So now I need to figure out how to do it good enough that when Scott reads it, he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's not how I would do it. But that's good. And then that made me figure out how to write that kind of book. So that like, you know, the Batman backups and Talon were basically like I refer to it as my grad school. Like he like, and then since that, uh, when we've worked on things, it's been a bit more as partners. Now that we're working on Justice League together, we run everything back like back and forth. Um, and you know, especially because after 50 issues of Detective, I actually like I have more team book writing experience than Scott does. So mm. it's just like no, no, no. You can pull back here. You can do that. Like yeah, it's. Yeah. You know, uh, now I get to tell, give Scott those mm. moments, and uh, it, it's really great. Like we have a really close working relationship. Uh, you know, I, I literally he's someone I literally talk to every day, and that's not an exaggeration. Mm. Uh, but it's, uh, and then I, I did, uh, you know, uh, Constantine the Hellblazer with Ming Doyle, uh, which I had an incredible experience with. But we did that really strangely, which is each of us wrote half of every issue. Like, and we would break it down together and we'd pass the breakdown, but then literally I would write, like, usually the first ten pages and she would write the last ten pages, and then we would go back and edit it. It's a very strange process. I'm not sure that I would, like, go into a project that way, but it was, like, it stretches different muscles. Um, It it helped me focus on how to do a setup. Like, this is the setup, and then... Uh, how do you? How do I get all of the craft and everything into the opener, uh, and then like leave Ming to do the payoff, um, and that that was extremely valuable. And then we were working on metal, metal, right. on the Dark Knight specials, and uh, that was something where you you had done the majority of the work in the the, the plot, plot stage. stage, yeah. And it was th- the thing with metal, which was different than any other project I worked with, it was like constantly changing yeah and you were privy to more information than i was you know what i mean and yeah. so basically i wrote the, the two plots and he came in afterwards and like okay we need this to happen and this and you came yeah. in and made changes and and 
you know, it was necessary changes for the stu- for to, to, to push your story along, you know? Right. Um, yeah, again. Yeah, and then, like, but that's, uh, you know, it, but it's... Also, we were pressed for time, really, on that. Yeah, we were very, probably pressed for So we needed, like, okay, this works, and let's yeah. run with it, yeah. Like, we need the version that can go to the printer in three days. Yeah, uh, it was, it was like that, great, yeah. Uh, motivator. Yeah, I don't know, but it, you learn something from each of those. Yeah, like, that, that was different from any other co-writing. The thing with co-writing, you have to immediately take your ego and put it aside. Yeah. Okay? Yes. Immediately, okay? <laughs> and I've always said this, you know, especially when you're doing a, a true co- collaboration with somebody, best idea wins, okay? Yeah. And I don't care if it's coming from your co-writer, the artist, or the janitor, okay? And I think, okay, honestly, the hardest thing is to recognize that better idea yeah. when that better idea is not yours. Yeah. And in cases when I worked with James, he, he did some things and I'm like, that's better. That's better than what I came up with. Let's go with that. You know what I mean? That's when you have a true collaboration. And, you know, because at the end of the day, people don't have to see how the sausage is made. It's the product. Yeah. And as long as the product is there, you know, however you get there, whoever words are where and this and that, it doesn't matter. Yeah. It's, you know. That's yeah. The, when the, you co-write. The, that's the, saus- the sausage definitely contains both your and James's anuses. Yeah, we, we, yeah. we have the same sausage. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we have a sausage right now. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've, had, I've had really uniquely different co-writing experiences. Uh-huh. Um, I was co-writing uh, Batman Adventures with Ty Templeton, who is an old hand of Batman Adventures and a, wrote you know, award-winning runs. And we were splitting the book uh, where one of us would write the lead and one would write the backup, and then we'd flip. But then we each looked at each other's stuff. And at first, I was very resentful because I had gotten the book and I had done an issue of Batman Gotham Adventures. Bless you. Leading into it, like before. And right before it, like I'd been given Batman Adventures, it was mine. And then. I asked Ty if he would, you know, will you, will you draw my issue of Gotham Adventures that's coming up? Like, it's in a drawer, and we've got to burn it off before we get to Batman Adventures. And he's like, sure, you're my buddy. And he goes and he does it, and the editor went, you still want to work on Batman Adventures? You're Ty Templeton. He goes, yeah. And he's like, you're friends with Dan, right? He's like, yeah, you, you want to co-write with him? And he's like, yeah, that would be fun. I'd love working with Dan. And then so he's like, I'm co-writing the book now. It's mine. But it was the best thing in the world because... I had this bad habit early on in my career of going for the bit over character. Like if I had the really clever idea, the, the high concept sci-fi idea, or the thing that like, and this is how Batman wins, as opposed to here's how Batman feels, here's what Batman's doing. You know, and Ty beat that out of me. He kept going like, what's the character doing? What's the story doing? Why is he doing that? You know, you keep, it was like so frustrating for me, but going through, having him be the crucible that burned off all my excesses to get to the story made me go, oh, I've been looking at comics wrong. So it was like taking a, a writing class mm. and, and I came out so much stronger on the other side of our Batman adventure run, all because I'd, I'd now taken the Ty Templeton course of writing. Right. And that was a completely different, that was, he was clearly the alpha dog in that whole situation. And when I, I'd been writing Spider-Man for years, and I was, uh, when it was all on my shoulders, 
and Steve Wacker would not, when you work for Steve Wacker, that book comes out. It comes out. It's on schedule. This is the guy who did 52, you know, and he did not put up with any shit. It's not, you're not, oh, your book's a week late. No, it's not a week late. It's coming out now. And um, he would, he was very good at looking at where everything was and when to pull the trigger of, you need a co-writer on this issue. And we tried a number of different guys and what I was finding was uh, with me being in the driving seat, I needed to, I had all these needs of where future stories were going and no one could read my mind. And when I would go in and beat up stories that we'd co-written and go, and I'd tell the other co-writer, it just has to be this way because we're building a bridge to the other side of that river. We're not building, even though we're making a story and you think you just told a good story here. No, I, I need it to go that way because he's going to fight Mysterio next month and I need to put that Chekhov's gun on that mantle. Trust me, you know, I'm the, I'm the co-writer. I'm the alpha dog here. And there were a number of writers who did, just didn't want to work that way. Um, and we would kind of butt heads. And even though I liked them as solo writers, they were not enjoying the process. And then I lucked out and I found the magical Christopher Gage. And Chris Gage was awesome. And he'd worked in television rooms. Yeah, so that you, helps. Where you that just helps. get beaten up and you, you keep rolling with punches. Mm. And we just got a good rhythm together. And he had no ego when it came to... Chris, don't hate me. I'm going to rewrite these entire two page, this two-page sequence. I know you wrote a really nice script, but I need to go in and manhandle this so it can point in this direction. Sure. And he'd be like, I'm totally cool with that. And I'm like, oh, my God, I love you. <laughs> um, and there were, there were moments, like, if you guys like Superior Spider-Man, like, I had talked with, we put in Chris as a co-writer for certain issues, so I would have the freedom to wrap up, and the last two issues would all be me. Um, but the way it worked out with like the last, the very last issue where Peter Parker comes back and fights Doc Ock, uh, Peter Parker comes back and fights the goblin. Um, I so wanted that. It's the culmination of all of superior Spider-Man. I wanted that to be all me. And I was at a convention in London that was in the middle of the boondocks and the Wi-Fi was completely gone. And I couldn't, I physically couldn't get things to the office. And I'm talking to Steve on a phone going, did you get it? No, we didn't get it. And I'm like, I'm sending, I'm sending, I'm sending. Like, we're not getting it. And he's like, damn, we're going to have to have Chris Gage do a first pass on this. Mm. And I was like, fuck. And, and then Chris did it. And, and then I, I went in and, and tweaked. But like, if Chris hadn't had done it, one of the best lines of the whole Superior Spider-Man run came from my co-writer. I, I did because I write Marvel style, and I wrote the most horrible thing in the world for my future self into the plot. Where, um, as Spider Man, Doc Ock, Superior Spider Man, Green Goblin was just ringing all of his bells, and he he, he couldn't do anything, and the woman he loved was going to die, and he had no other hope but to go. I'm re-uploading Peter Parker. You are the Superior Spider Man. Save the woman I love. I can't mm. do it. You know, like, go. And so Peter reclaims he's now Spider-Man, and he goes to fight Green Goblin. And Green Goblin's just been lighting Doc Ock up because he knows the secret that that's Doc Ock. And you have this bit where Goblin, being Goblin, is just laughing. <laughs> like, you're, you're a fool, Octavius. Well, you know, all that stuff. And Spider-Man just swings up, and he says a joke. And Otto hasn't been joking the whole run. 
and he tells a joke, and it's a funny, it needs to be a funny joke, and it makes the goblin stop laughing. <laughs> and then he goes, it's you. He's the one and only, and now goblin's scared. And I wrote that scene, and in the plot it says, and Spider-Man says a funny joke. <laughs> <laughs> So when I get time to script it, I'm like, what the fuck do I? Fuck you, past Dan Slot. Fuck you. I, I don't know what to do. And, that's, and I wrote that in England, and, I, and that was in my thing that I kept sending, and I couldn't send. And I did not like my joke. Mm. And then Chris Gage had to do that. And the joke came in. It was funny. I was like, oh, thank God. Oh, thank you, Chris Gage. Mm. <laughs> you know? And that's what's like in my favorite issue of the run is a, a co-writer joke that I did in Alpha Dog. Mm. So it's like, it's, it's give and take. Have there ever been instances like that when you've left a book and other people have taken things that you've introduced and taken them to new places or done stuff with it that you say, oh, that's a good idea, or, or that you're just grateful with that, oh, it has a life now beyond me? Both. Yeah. And also, oh my God, you fucked that up completely. Yeah, sure. It's, it's the whole spectrum, because sure. every writer is different. And, you know, and when it goes to another medium and an idea you had shows up on a TV show and they just threw everything out and did something new, you're like, wow, you, you fucked that up, but I'll take the money, <laughs> you know, but, but there'll be other, it's, it's everything. Like, I love what Robbie Thompson did with Silk. His Silk is way better than my Silk. And I'm like, oh, my God, he, he took this and he ran with it. Or I, I came up with Agent Venom, Flash Thompson, but I love what Rick Remender did with it. I, I like, you know, when I create something and then someone runs off and does something great, I am happy yeah. that this thing is getting new life. I've been on the, the receiving end of this where, um, like, Kirkman was going off just to do uh, Walking Dead and, and all his other projects, and he had done... Uh, the uh, what's name for his Ant-Man irredeemable the irredeemable Ant-Man and he was certain that the second he left Marvel and the second he stopped writing irredeemable Ant-Man they were going to kill him like this is my precious baby and someone like Mark Miller would just come in and step on him for a joke mm. you know like and I've just <laughs> written him for like you know 40 issues and he came to me and went you're writing the initiative Will you put Ant-Man irredeemable will you give him a home and look after him. <laughs> and I'm like, I will give your character a home. And I've seen other people do that. We're like, you know, like, so, you know, I want my thing to live on. Right. That's, but that's how your character will live on. And, you know, if somebody, it, you know, we're all limited time on, on whatever book we're on. And um, if you're, you want your character to go on and somebody else has to take the baton and, and do something with them, you know. And sometimes, and then there's the very special frustration of when somebody finally gets to do a thing that you were trying to get to do with that character yeah. for a very long time. And they wouldn't let you. And they yeah, let yes, you. yes. And then yes. let the other guy do it. And then, yeah. And then they do it well. And so you, like, it would be one thing. If they if fucked it, it up, terrible, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'd just be like, oh, I would do it better. And it's just like. No, Young Justice is really good. <laughs> I, I, I don't have that problem. I don't have that problem where, like, you know, I, I, get, I don't get the thing where, like, oh, if I got to do it, and then they do it, and they do it better, and I go, oh, man, I hate that. No, I don't get that Salieri beat. Yeah. I get that Salieri beat in different ways, but not like that. With that, I'm like, yes, I was right. If they had <laughs> let me do that, it would have been good. Yeah. My version of this is when I was uh, starting out in the industry and I was just starting to sell shit, um, I had, within a period of three weeks, two different editors say the exact 
same thing to me. Terry Cavanaugh said it to me one week, and then two weeks, two or three weeks later, Joey Cavallari said it to me in two completely different ways. It went, one was a Wolverine story, and one was the 20, Spider-Man 2099 inventory story. They each said, you know, I'd let you do that if you were Peter David. <laughs> And like, uh, I can't, I'm, what the, if, you're saying if the exact same script came in and Peter David's name was on the, you, you yes. I, I didn't know how to respond to that, you know, and, and. You killed Peter David. No, 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 <laughs> I, I don't blame Peter David, but then years later, I'm, you know, I'm doing Spider-Man, all this other stuff, Peter David's up in the office, uh, in some other office, and he's talking to this editor, and I walk by, and I hear Peter David going, you know, someone saying to that editor, we'd let you do that if you were, if you were Mark Miller. And Peter David's like, boy! Yeah. <laughs> I've seen Peter David again in the exact same thing decades later, and it's happening to Peter David. It, that's the one I can't stand. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> okay, well, I think we're uh, out of, maybe not out of questions, but definitely almost out of time. Do you have any questions for our esteemed panel? Is there uh, a character or a story that you'd like to do, but you see the format that you're working in that it wouldn't work in that way? Like, um, for example, um, you wanted to do a Batman story, and you had a really great idea, and it wouldn't fit in the run you were given. Okay, yeah, yeah. No, sometimes I have ideas that are too big, and I have to. You, you always have to be willing to kind of kill your darlings. Mm. That when you have uh, something that even like you know, if you have, it's it's once again the sort of don't save your best idea to uh, the third arc. Sometimes I have. It's like oh, if I had like fifty issues, yeah. I yeah. would do this beautiful like slow build, pay off each of these individual pieces, and then I don't get like 50 issues and then that those storylines just don't happen but it's like you always you know if you have a good idea like you always kind of cannibalize your unused ideas mm -hmm. so they come back in different forms like later so it's it's still valuable um like you never just have to like lock it in a box and never look at it again. Oh, I, the, the problem a lot of problems i had on spider-man was i'd have this idea I really wanted to do but it was really violent. And my editor, when I had, when I had Steve Wacker as my editor, he let me decapitate people. He let me do tr horrible things. In real life? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You were wondering what happened to Joe Sabino, the letter. He's gone. No, but he would let me uh, do really violent, horrifying things in Spider-Man. And when, I got Nick, when the book switched over to Nick Lowe, he's like, I want an eight-year-old to be able to read Spider-Man. I want them to be able to buy it off the rack. You cannot do that. He kept saying, like, with, whenever it came down to extreme violence in my stories, and I had this one story I'd been saving, and, like, it was so mega-violent, and I knew I could never... I can't do it at Marvel with Spider-Man mm. because it's Spider-Man. Um, so that's kind of like, yeah, it goes away. Um, yeah. I, I had a, um, an example of what you were saying, that I had a, uh, a Wolverine miniseries. It was basically Wolverine during... It was... Um, the story sets off, it's during the same Valentine's Day massacre, and um, you see all the bodies, and one of them gets up and brushes himself off, and it's Wolverine, okay? So it's basically Wolverine versus Al Capone, 
All right, it was going to be a four-issue miniseries. They, uh, they wanted me to do, um, do it for Savage Wolverine. In that case, I had, uh, because of whatever, uh, the things the book was, was going on with the book, in the end, I only had one issue to do it with. So I had to compress four issues into one issue. But, you know, I made it work, and it, I think it might have worked even better as, as that than it would have been over, stretched over four issues. So you learn to be adaptable, yeah. you know? Uh, we had a, a Spider-Man story in the 50th anniversary with this character called Alpha, and everyone who read it in the collection as a, a one unit were cool with it, but the people who read it as single issues hated it mm. when they had a month in between to stew over it um, because it was never built to be a three-part story. It was a story for Spider-Man's 50th anniversary where Peter Parker's a scientist and he takes Midtown High students to see his science experiment and it blows up and a kid gets powers. Mm. And, and now Peter with power and responsibility, this kid's my responsibility. And he takes him under his wing and he's going to train the kid and the kid is an asshole. <laughs> and, and throughout the story, the kid is making the wrong choices and eventually gets to the point where Spider-Man has to fight him and take him down and then use science to take the power away. Because if you don't have great responsibility, you don't get the great power. That's a good 50th anniversary Spider-Man story. Mm -hmm. But then my editor said, we only have the budget to do this many new pages of story. Can we split that up into thirds? And at that point, and Marvel always gives you the option to do that, I should have just killed it. I should have said no. Because we started falsely marketing it to fake you out that Spider-Man gets a new sidekick. Everyone reads the story and go, Spider-Man's getting a new, like he's getting his own Robin for the 50th anniversary. It's important. Oh, this kid's an asshole. I hate him. Why are you doing this? Why are you giving Spider-Man an asshole sidekick? We hate you. This is the worst story. And then by the time it got to issue two, the sales were so high that the marketing department went, oh, you can't take away this kid's powers. He's popular. We might do a spinoff. And I'm like, <laughs> so it's like, yeah, do you have that? The format killed me. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay, well, um, I'm going to thank you, uh, uh, audience, for being here on a Sunday afternoon. Thank you very much, Frank, James, and uh, Dan. You were uh, great. More yes. than great. No, you, were, you were absolutely wonderful. I am thank you so much. Uh, I agree. without words. Thank you. Thank you.